we're in Mark chapter 2. And yesterday we spoke a bit about the wineskins and the new wine and how they need to correspond properly. New wine must be put into new wineskins or else the wine will burst the old wineskins. But before that, there's a mention of fasting because the question was posed to the Lord. And it says that they came and said to him, in verse 18, Mark chapter 2, verse 18, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. And this is speaking of, obviously, a, a marriage. Speaking of a wedding celebration. Because a bridegroom, obviously, is one that's getting married. And uh, it's a time of celebration, not fasting. So the Lord is drawing the analogy that I'm with my people. And there's a celebration of God's kingdom in their midst. There's a cross and there are persecutions. Many things that are happening and will happen. But the Lord said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to bring good news to bring healing to bring deliverance to bring recovery he's come to set at liberty those who are crushed and to proclaim the favor of the Lord it's a celebration so the kingdom of God is expanding God's name is driving out the devils and healing diseases. And the disciples are with the Lord intimately learning from Him, spending time with Him, learning about the secrets of the kingdom of God, the mysteries and the operations of faith and all these divine things. And they're reclining with the Lord on occasion and eating with Him, dining with Him, while also being on the road with him in driving out Satan's power. They're watching this. Wherever the Lord went, the kingdom of God came to those people, to those cities, cities that sat in darkness by the sea coast of Galilee and also in other towns of the Gentiles. So everywhere, north, south, east, west, across the border to Gentile territory God's kingdom was there so why should they fast? he's the heavenly bridegroom there's a time when he will go away he said you can't come where I'm going now but afterward you'll come and he also said I'll return to you 
to take you to be with me where I am. It's a picture of the Jewish wedding and the procedures and rituals they have. The bridegroom would prepare a place so that he can take the bride with him once they have gone through the commitment publicly. So no wonder the Lord is called the bridegroom. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I go away, if I'm going, I will come back and take you with me that you may be with me. Where? In the Father's house. Now these people who are looking at the regulations and rituals, they're observing this is what the disciples of John do. Of course, Jesus hadn't come until John introduced him by revelation from God, the Father. But they also were of the old order. And you see, it was not just the Pharisees who could not receive the new, but unless the disciples of John also, as did Peter and Andrew and others who followed John, and they left John to follow Jesus, because John said very clearly, the one who's coming after me is mightier, he's greater. I must decrease, he must increase. He's the one who recommended to them, behold the Lamb of God. And they left John and they followed Jesus. But as long as people were still with John, when this old covenant dispensation was coming to a close, because Jesus was inaugurating and bringing the new covenant, so long as they stuck with the old way leading up to Jesus, they will not be able to receive the new way. And this is how it is with the Holy Spirit. He's constantly working. There's no evolution. But there's a transition happening all the time. There's a lifting up like an eagle's wings. The Lord takes us from one realm to another as we continue to walk with the Lord. There's an ascension. And if we insist on holding on to what we have, then God will say, you can't receive the new. And he'll go to someone else who can. So we have two classes of people here. Perhaps we haven't seen it before. Sometimes we think only of the Pharisees pitted against the way of the Lord. But we actually have also an old covenant prophet, John. And he was actually the person who would introduce the transition to in our lives. When God speaks a word which is from him and he says to move we must move if he says to leave something we must leave it whatever he says we must do just like God instructed Moses and Joshua learned the lesson and then God reiterated the lesson through Joshua and through Moses at the end of Moses' life to warn the children of those parents who were so stubborn for almost four decades according to God's prophecy, when they proved themselves to be stiff-necked. 
God swore none of them are going to come out of this life. God acts on divine principle according to his character. And he means what he says. And so Moses gave the warning to the children at the end of that period before he left this world. He came a second time in Deuteronomy to warn the children, don't do like your fathers did. Don't do like your parents did. Avoid everything that they did because of what they did and how they despised God's new way, new land, new promise. They wanted to stay in the old and even go back. He says, don't do the same thing, otherwise you can lose everything too. It was a very severe warning, strong warning. Thankfully, they feared and they were able to go in with Joshua. Whenever God brings something new, it's not an option but a command. When God says, leave this, leave that, leave this. Similar to when somebody comes to a place where the Spirit of God is working. There are people who try to balance between two places. But we can never ever fully enjoy the new unless we leave the old. Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. This fasting was something that we know from Scripture. And the Lord himself told the disciples when the case was brought before them, when a demon or demons would not leave a certain individual. And the Lord told them, this kind does not come out except by fasting and prayer. That shows that he himself told them to fast. And as Jews, the Lord kept all the laws along with the disciples. You'll see at the end here that the Sabbath law was explained and fulfilled in Christ. And in Him they had that liberty to partake of the grains on the Sabbath to live. The Lord gave a precedent for that. He showed what David did. But the feasts and all these things, you see God kept those things. Jesus kept those things. And certainly one of those days was that Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, where they were called to, according to Leviticus, as we read, they're called to afflict themselves, which means fasting. They're called to be really sorry for their sins and really understand how serious it is of a matter to be right with God in the way he's prescribed. And so they had to fast. And the Lord said, I didn't come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. And so they would have fasted, at least on the Day of Atonement. So the question really is, because they had a ritual, these Pharisees at least, and John's disciples, of course, we mentioned, were from the Old Covenant period. But they had these rituals uh, of an ascetic lifestyle, withdrawn, as John was himself in the desert, eating a very restricted diet. 
and uh, the disciples of John fasted. And the Pharisees also had a regular fasting, like the man that went to the temple with the poor man next to him, or the man who had a contrite heart, penitent heart, repentant heart. One wouldn't even lift up his head or eyes up to heaven. The other one boasted, I fast. I have these things that I do, not like the sinner, Lord. So it became a ritualistic and dead thing. Just like God says in Isaiah and other places, he says, take your sacrifices away from my altar. I don't want it. Because the people were not doing from the heart. The whole motivation was wrong and the purpose was defeated. They were unjust and unrighteous. So we must look at ourselves and see whether we're fasting properly. That's one of the things we can learn from this because these people, the Pharisees at least, didn't do it properly. So there are two things involved. One is that we need to leave the old way in order to receive the new way. And Jesus is saying here, they're not going to fast like you people fast when I'm with them. Because God's kingdom is here. I'm right here with them. But there will be a time when they'll fast when I leave. And we see that in the book of Acts. We see how they fasted and prayed, seeking the mind of the Spirit. They fasted and prayed on different occasions. Paul fasted. He said, and fasting's often voluntary and involuntary. They fasted when the Spirit of God spoke to them to separate Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas for the work that God had for them. And they fasted when they chose elders and different things. So, according to what the Lord said, it was fulfilled. But on one hand, God doesn't want ritualistic fasting that has no change of heart behind it. The purpose is not served because fasting is supposed to draw us nearer to God and make us transform more to be like Jesus because it's a time of spiritual uh, desperation, seeking of God and demonstration of our very focused seeking of God. The Lord will hear when we do it right. It must be done right. And fasting that becomes ritualistic as part of the old covenant no longer is going to work here. Now that Jesus had come, they had access like they never had before. Where do we see in the Old Testament when a number of people were able to seek God together to receive his counsel regarding in the midst of the church which people were supposed to be separated for special work, missionary work. You had it through prophets. You had it through certain priests. But now Jesus went to heaven and he sent the Holy Spirit. So the fasting, in addition to what the Lord said about demons leaving certain strongholds destroyed when we fast and pray, and we're supposed to fast and pray, and they won't leave unless we fast and pray, 
deny ourselves, afflict ourselves, seeking God. It's very different from other religions because we're doing it before the living God. It's not simply a feat of self-control or self-denial. People fast when they're in jail. They fast doing demonstrations and all kinds of uh, political reasons, religious reasons. But the Christian fasting done according to the leading of the Holy Spirit and the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ and the example in the early church, including Paul, the Apostle, it's not done to show my level of self-control. It's not done to show off my religiosity. It's not done as a ritual either. But it's done with a purpose to draw near to the living God and to receive a transformation within us and answers to prayer and guidance from the Lord. It's a beautiful, intimate connection with the Lord when we focus with our spirits, with our hearts to have this fasting serve a particular God-appointed purpose, God-appointed goal. So fasting did occur. As I mentioned, they had the Day of Atonement and they were told by the Lord certain demon possession cases will not come out except by fasting prayer. The early church fasted, but at this point, God is making a clear distinction. It is not a ritual. It's not something from the old. This is brand new. And then he transitions immediately to what we discussed yesterday in verse 21. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, or else the new piece pulls away from the old and the tear is made worse. No one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine bursts the wineskins. The wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined, but new wine must be put into new wineskins. So, what God has for us can be wasted. The revelation God gives us can fall on deaf ears. It can fall to the side as water off of a rock and never penetrate. But people who read these verses and we understand the heart of Jesus behind these statements and the context in which he says this, we're eager, as Paul the Apostle says by the Holy Spirit, eagerly desire spiritual gifts and the best gifts. Be eager. That eagerness is not just an emotional desire, not just a high and a flattering talk and getting very, very excited. Many people get excited, but like that seed that fell on the rock when the sun came, what sprung up instantly faded away rather quickly. We need to understand everything has a purpose and God is purpose-oriented. We need to understand that when he calls us to do something, when he reveals something to us, he expects us to fulfill a certain responsibility so we can benefit from that. And it requires a concentrated effort and wisdom that I'm not letting this go. Every word you speak to me, Lord, every opportunity you give to me to come into your presence, 
It's too precious for me. My whole world revolves around the temple. God's house. Isn't that how it should be? The Israelites' lives revolved around the temple. Our lives should revolve around not church politics or church fun or the new fad in churches or social interaction because I like to interact with the people. But it's drawn to the God of the temple. I'm drawn to church when God is in the church. I'm drawn to God through the church. If people cannot connect with the living God and get more intimate with Him and be transformed through the church, that means God is not in that church. And it's what happens a lot of times. But when we have the desire eagerly that whatever God reveals, I'm going to hold on to it. I'm very serious about everything God gives. Then we can actually progress like Joshua did with Moses. He was hanging around, then he understood this is too much, it's too precious. We see him staying there after, even after a certain event transpired. He lingered, it said. Then he was trained systematically. His commitment grew and grew and grew. He understood he's dealing with the living God. He became a person to whom Moses transferred the authority. God told Moses to do it. God didn't pick him because Moses recommended him. God picked Joshua and told Moses, this is the one. He's just a young man. But he was a smart young man. He knew God is life. And if God's in the tabernacle, that's where I'm going to be found. And so people who are drawn by the Holy Spirit, their lives will revolve around the church where God is working. Everything gets adjusted to that. Now, many people here, we know it becomes dangerous if we don't do that because we lose God's blessing and the devil can move in and distract us. But we go to a higher level of consciousness regarding our duty and high privilege. And that is, I get to know him more because I love him. I want to be with him. And everything God has, every time God shows up, I want to be there. That's exactly how Joshua was. The new. God is pouring new all the time. All the time. And we have to be like the new wineskins, ever ready to receive that new. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So we saw about fasting. We saw about the new wine. We saw about how God is drawing us because he wants to use us. These days require a lot of discernment. It requires a lot of commitment to the Lord because they're dark and evil days. And the devil is having his heyday in confusing, distracting, effectively destroying people in the church. God gives us a hunger and thirst for righteousness to live holy before him and be that golden cup, royal cup. 
because he means to do more mighty works. And as a people, when we're available to the Lord, not just saying, Lord, I'm available, I have my time, my service is available. No, my vessel, my heart, my mind, Lord, is available to you 24-7. Whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do. If the life of the church, like the life of Israel, revolves around the temple of the church, the gathering where God's Spirit moves. If Moses was there and Joshua responded to Moses' commands and the people were expected to do the same, and God took it, as we heard recently, the message, and we see it in Scripture, that if the Lord has placed the anointing and the leaders, there's a greater and deeper awareness that to disobey the leaders is to disobey God. All kind of cults can maintain such a declaration and requirement. But then the devil will always copy the truth. And the person who really knows God and loves God and is growing in God, maturing, they'll understand very readily because there's abuse and misuse and perversion of this when the devil finds people willing to serve him, manipulate religion and the Bible. And it's actually cultic because the people are not drawn toward God, not, not taught how to receive from God and be blessing to God and to others, but they're actually being manipulated for some other selfish purpose. The person who knows God and reads the Word and is walking with the living God can spot the difference. And when they are aware that this is God picking these leaders and God working through the leaders, it's understood all over the Bible from Genesis to Revelation that to disobey or to despise bring down to the same level, which means despising the anointing, is to do harm to ourselves because we're going against God. But the ones who learn that lesson and the ones who are eager for God to use them, the ones who revere God, it's not a problem, but it's a blessing and privilege. I understand. God has given me leaders to actually equip me. And it's not just equipment like external equipment, some superficial teaching and some mechanics of how to do this and that, but there's an impartation in that equipping because the Spirit of God is the one who works. John wasn't bad. John was handpicked by the Lord. He was a man anointed of God. But there was a time when, when there was a transition. Because the new had come. And so we are called to be discerning to see where God is working and to move there, to be there.
because we cannot serve two masters. Imagine people coming to the Lord God Almighty in the flesh and saying, why are you doing things differently than John? You know about John, don't you, Jesus? He's a huge, colossal figure. People fear him everywhere. People are flocking to him. They did. You know about the Pharisees, don't you? They're established. Do you know the kind of power these men have? Do you know the kind of authority and what a blessing they are to everybody? Why are you doing things against the system? That's because they didn't understand who they're talking to. Much like today, when God's Spirit is moving in a prophet or leader, there will be many people coming and equating that with any other person, any other church. And the people questioning cannot understand. What's the big deal? We have lots of praise and worship. We fast too and we do different things. Oh yeah, my church does this. We, we recruit people and we evangelize. And As I mentioned about a certain... As I mentioned about a certain person that was riding on the train with me, where they have the expansion of churches in the area, is saying how they're going to take over the Northeast, basically. It's wonderful to spread the word of the Lord. But the problem was that the the man was very interested in the church finances program, a seminar. And obviously, the teaching wasn't transforming lives because they still celebrate Halloween. Because they still focus on money. They still focus on having pastors with severe bondages by way of depression and constantly on drugs and therapy having breakdowns so they cannot minister and they're put away taking a leave and their reliance is more on man's therapy than the power of the Holy Spirit everyone will go through trials and particularly those who are called to serve God in the forefront front lines but to see a surrender and a refusal to acknowledge the power of God to help overcome every time to deny the baptism of the Holy Spirit to insist on only male leadership and despise any work God is doing through female leadership so many problems, but they're expanding. They have programs, they have families, they have multitudes of activities. How can we equate that with with the Spirit of God is working mightily, setting people free, increasing their love for the Lord like never before, walking in holiness? Is that not heaven on earth? Has not the kingdom of God come in that place? 
Is God not working mightily there? How can we equate the two? It's because of blindness. Blindness and pride. When God is doing something new, first of all, we have to leave that which is dead. But in John's case, it was a case of a transition. So both are necessary. First order of business is if I'm part of something dead, I should not be there for any reason whatsoever, even social interaction. Because I'm actually adding to what God wants to give me. And there will be an effect of that, always. To usurp, to drain one way or another, to militate against, to effectively cancel out, nullify, to compete with, whether on the conscious level or subconscious level. To take away. That which is dead must be left. Secondly, when the Lord is giving what is new, and if He shows us this is the new, we have to leave the old. These are things that can, guiding principles that can keep us from backsliding. Yes, so many people in the churches are backsliding. Also keep us from shortchanging ourselves and missing what the Spirit of God is doing. In which case, we can become smug and lukewarm and end up backsliding. So in this short passage here, very beautifully, the Lord reveals heaven's principles on how to walk intimately with them, if he's the bridegroom and we're the bride, to know that we are supposed to have this intimate fellowship and have this joy, knowing that it's a celebration, it's a time of prosperity spiritually, and all that is ritualistic, all the old as we talk about an army person, the civilian life must be left. The old must be left. Everything of the world must be left, including religiosity. Because now I'm married to the Lord. Everything has to be fresh, you see? New wine. Everything has to be properly received. A new mindset. An emptying and a transformation of the person to receive all that God has. Now, with that... There are people in churches who are propped up calling themselves the New Wine Fellowships and all these different names. And, and we see a lot in the past 30 years especially with different revivals in different places. And people have sworn when they were interviewed, I feel so much more in love with Jesus now. But there's no mention of Godliness or holiness, repentance, nothing. It's just I'm absorbing this experience. It's just moving me, my emotions. I mean, I'm in more love with Jesus now than ever. That's what they reported. But they had many, many false things happening in the midst of them. Including women barking like dogs. People walking around. Not with the joy of the Holy Spirit, in which case we will laugh, but it's a holy laughter, real holy laughter. But they called holy laughter and ended up screeching, 
rolling on the ground and uh, lots of mockery and jokes. It's not unlike the so-called apparitions and manifestations of uh, the Catholic order where people see some kind of miracle or phenomenon and they rush over there. Yes, masses will come. And so they did with these charismatic people to the point where there was a wedding between the charismatics and the Catholics back in the late 60s. Many of them. They said, this is the new wine. This is the new wine. Yeah, multitudes of Catholics kneeling down with hands open to heaven, speaking in tongues. How do you explain that? Is that not the move of the Holy Spirit? Of course the Holy Spirit can move anyone, anywhere, anytime. But if they're in a place where there's idolatry, the Spirit of God will move them out of there also. But what we find is with many, many reports from leading Catholics who are defending this wave of the charismatic movement upon Catholicism that they had joint meetings and conferences where they had leading cardinals along with Protestant charismatic people and what has come out I've read many of these reports from different people even as far as India Catholics there and especially here in the West they said this Holy Spirit anointing and charismatic movement that's come in here they said it's very Catholic because I'm a stronger Catholic now than ever and leaders have expressly stated that we believe in Mary more than ever as mediatrix and co-redemptress what does that mean? that she is to us the intercessor along with Jesus and a part of our redemption we're stronger on this than ever since we got the Holy Spirit Lord have mercy we need to know that the new wine that God is speaking of the latter rain that God is speaking of will cause us to be attached to the word of God the truth it is never divorced from the truth. Because the Lord says you should know the truth and the truth shall set you free from what? Problems in your marriage. Satan moving into your children. Satan coming and trying to wreck your body and take you out prematurely. The power comes from the real Holy Spirit move where he makes us holy so he can move in and through us. Because the devil only will fear holiness and he'll only move out when the Holy Spirit comes in. But you have multitudes of people saying, oh yes, yes, I believe in the Spirit, I love it, I love this televangelist and he talks about tongues and Holy Spirit. I felt heat in my body. You can feel things and God can work. But the majority of it, we see that it just strengthens one's position the way they were. The add-on is just that I feel light. I feel wonderful. A lot of feelings. But no change in the heart and life. No perception that 
God demands from me to study the word from his mouth. God demands of me to walk with him in truth, to speak only what he says, nothing more, nothing less. He doesn't call me to look at establishments and their doctrines, but the Bible. When there's a discrepancy, I'm going to follow God. We don't see that coming out of these movements. So there's always a genuine new wine from God and also a counterfeit. So important to be alert. So important to know the word for ourselves. To read the word. To humble ourselves. To know the difference between those who are really anointed and those who are not. And to make a decision because our destiny is made up of a series of choices. If we make the wrong choice and we think, I don't need to pay attention to this, I'm having fun. I love this person, that person, you know, we have a really great family in that church and community and, you know, we've been here for ages and everybody knows everyone and human love and human community takes priority over divine love and divine community, communion, then we're going to lose it. we'll be deceived. May the Lord help us to be more settled on the truth of God's word, more vigilant than ever. Because it's written that even the elect, the devil tried to deceive, if possible. Even the elect, the very people who are chosen by God and walking with God, who've made the choice to follow God. But you know how we can safeguard ourselves and our hearts? By reading the word for dear life. This is God's word. It's not just a manual. It's life to my soul. If I don't have it, I die. If I don't have his word, I can get something else, which is poison. And every experience must be tested by the word of God. Every move of the church and the leaders, every decision must be scriptural. And that too, not a perverted interpretation, interpretation of scripture. Saying that women can't preach, they can't do this or that. And a dogmatic, tradition-centered, man-centered, man-originated theology. Ignoring scriptures, ignoring the clear teaching of scripture and the use of women by the Lord to save his people, such in the case of Deborah, your prophetess Hulda, you had people in the New Testament, Priscilla and Aquila, a woman who taught Apollos, along with her husband, she taught that man more accurately in the way of truth. He was already a preacher. So many people, underground China, all over the place, in our church, It's the Holy Spirit working. How do you know? Because there's a reverence, there's a humility, there's a transformation, there's bondages literally being broken. Only the Spirit of God can do that. There's a growth. There's a increased love for the living God. There's a holy living that's resulting from this anointing. Wow. So the scriptures must be read, but also interpreted accurately and only the Holy Spirit only the Holy Spirit can help us with that and he'll only teach people who are willing to be holy 
who are willing to leave the old, leave the false, come to the new. And never be between two places because that brings confusion and compromise. All those things. May the Lord speak to your heart. May He help you to internalize this, be strengthened in the truth, and help you to articulate it with prayer, with His compassion, with His vigilance to people who are caught up in the old and the false. They too can taste the new wine that the Lord has given you. Shall we pray? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for mercies. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your truth. Thank you, Holy One, O Lord. Help us never to be critical of anything just because we don't understand it. But help us to seek you, Lord. And once we know the truth on it, to be vigilant and to defend the truth. Lord, you mean to unite your church Unite all the members of your church universal in heaven and on earth, one family, in all the various churches across the world. You emphasize the unity, but it's always founded upon the truth. Wherever truth is neglected, wherever it is avoided, wherever it is perverted and twisted, Instead of promoting unity, Lord, you say separate. Separate from people who teach falsely, who do falsely. And thank you, Lord, that our focus in all of this still is the blessing from you to overflowing. The Lord, in spite of these things that are there today in the world, in the churches, we communicate the truth in love and we demonstrate that we know the truth. We know the real Jesus. We believe the true doctrine by our life of true good works, true holiness, true self-sacrifice for your glory and for the good of people to come to know you, to connect people with you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the high privilege of being your messengers, Lord being your faithful children and servants, to run everywhere telling people, I know the real Jesus. He's taken away all my sins. And today, I'm not dominated by sin. Because he said, sin shall have no dominion over you. I'm free through his blood. And his spirit is moving me from one level to another. I'm humbled. But I'm full of joy unspeakable. You can have that too. Even you in the church, working in the church, stuck to the dead and the old, coming to the new. Thank you, Father. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be full of the Holy Spirit today. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray that your ministry healing, Lord, as your people have prayed, we've prayed. Holy One, strengthen your people, Lord. Strengthen your people to look for more of the latter rain from heaven. Hallelujah. Because our heavenly bridegroom has sent blessing upon blessing and is sending still daily, loading us with benefits. We want it all. Hallelujah. 
You told us to open wide your mouth and I will fill it. It's your pleasure, your good pleasure to give us the kingdom. And help us to be eager, Lord, not to miss anything. We can shine brightly, empowered by the fire of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, praise you. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.